Hello, this is Margaret Ajibola, the STEM Positive Disruptor. And today I have a special guest on Mia's conversation. Uh, her name is Geshi um, Kariri Sabina. Um, she's, she's an Associate Professor of Digital Covenants in South Africa. Oh my gosh, she's an amazing lady, but you know, she's going to tell us more about, more about herself. Um, she works within people, place and technological change. Is that correct? Yes? Okay. And also she's an expert in future and foresight. Um, she has a background in computer science, architecture and sociology and urban planning. But she'll tell us more about it because I, I don't want to take her space. She can tell us all about that. The reason why we set up this platform is we want to educate, we want to raise awareness, we want to change people's perception and demystify what STEM is, that's science, technology, engineering, mathematics. We want to showcase the diverse roles, the diverse people that work within the industry, but also want to show the solutions that we need because we talk about the things that do not work. But if we can actually provide solutions, this is why we have this platform, then we can get the government, we can get the industry and we can get the education system to start talking about those solutions and look at not just where we are, but preempt and be proactive for the future, especially for the young people that are coming on board. So without further ado, welcome, Keshi. I'm so pleased that you've got, you made time to um, have a conversation with us today. And please tell us more about yourself because you talk just, you, you describe yourself as a thinker, a researcher, and a doer as well. So why, why, tell us more about that. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on your show, Margaret. I really appreciate that. Um, love being in conversations, especially with other women of color, uh, because there's a lot of work we have to do in this space, uh, especially in technological fields where there really aren't enough of us, I think, and therefore not enough of what we bring. Uh, into the space. So, so, so the reason I bother to describe myself as a thinker, a researcher, and a sometimes doer is I've often found myself in a situation where if I'm work, I've worked within the public sector space for a long time, so largely in governments and in very practical doing spaces. And there uh, I'd often have people say to me that, oh, you're quite academic or you seem to be quite thinky about stuff. And, you know, they're kind of in a different mode, which is doing. But then I've also been and, I, and currently I'm embedded in the academic space where I then get the opposite, that, oh, you seem to be like very practice oriented. And, you know, here we are just, you know, into theorizing and thinking. Uh, and so I felt this formulation saying, look, I do think uh, and I enjoy thinking. Uh, I do believe that in a lot of my work, we don't have answers. And so the search, the research uh, is a continuous part of it. Of and then if I'm honest, I would say I am in practice space, but only sometimes do I actually do <laughs> things that matter. Um, you know, other than research and thinking and talking about things. So, um, yeah, so, so therefore that little phrase, uh, a bit of a joke, but it's probably true. Okay. And is that why you have this nickname called um, Super Q? <laughs> we didn't find that. Oh, I, I do. I did that. do my research a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, exactly. That came from a conversation uh, or a game we played within the Emergence Network. And we were supposed to brand ourselves a superhero. Uh, and I said, if I had a superpower, it's my ability to ask questions about absolutely anything. Yeah. <laughs> I always find a question I can ask. And so Super Q became my nickname. <laughs> and you know, I, I mean, you know, this is the whole thing. And again, it's about we as people, we don't, we're not sta stagnant. We are evolving all the time. And I think in a way, unless you ask questions, unless you explore, you'll always be you know, forced to be that 
cell person. And I think in a way, that's what um, engineers or STEM people do. There was always um, problems of looking at ways to improve things and how we do things as well. And, you know, I, I do love the fact that, you know, your expertise, among many other things, is that um, it's urban governance and innovation system policy. And can you tell us more about that? Because, again, the audience would like to know that. And I think, in a way, what you're also doing is actually showcasing what is possible. Because I know your journey is quite an interesting one. And you moved around and you sometimes, as you talked about, you, you talked about um, meeting interesting people who then open opportunities for you which you've never thought about and I think this is where it's also about also letting people know that sometimes you don't know have all the answers but sometimes it's about talking to people or just putting yourself in the right place and you find opportunities come your way as well so please tell us more about that and what you're saying Margaret resonates so much you know I've got two teenage daughters right now 16 and 17 and they're at that stage and I remember myself at that stage where people ask you so what are you going to study what do you want to be uh, and there's an assumption that you have a lot of answers about your future, about the future of the space around you. Uh, and it becomes very discomforting at that age to say you don't know. Whereas I think that's the best possible answer. And the second bit of it, however, is being able to put out what it is you do know. And that could be something you feel or that could be something you enjoy or the gap that you're feeling. And I really do believe that putting that out there, even just as a question or even just as a, a thought, does invite other people to contribute to your journey. And that's really been true for me. So so, so maybe just to fill in what's, what's happened for me is I really didn't know as a 17, 18 year old what I wanted to, to be, but I knew what I didn't want to be. Um, and I remember vividly watching a movie and seeing an architect and thinking, Oh, that looks like a good life. It wasn't even architecting because I didn't know what he was actually doing, but it was the way he was living. It looked like a fairly quiet existence. It looked like on the one hand, you could work alone, but then you're on sites engaging with other people. You know, So there were things about the performative part of it that looks good to me. And I thought, okay, I could live like that. Yeah. Also growing up in Africa as a young woman, uh, and this would have been, you know, way back in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, um, I would have seen organizations like the UN, like the World Bank, seeming like the sorts of places if I wanted to do work for change, that that's where I should want to be. So being an architect sounded okay. I, I knew I didn't want to do engineering uh, at that stage because there was just something about the engineers I knew. <laughs> it wasn't quite it. Uh, but I thought, okay, architecture, I could do architecture. So went to the States to study that. Uh, and then, of course, found out the way the system works. Uh, I could as well do another degree and then do architecture next because you did pre-architecture, which really isn't a degree. And, and, I, and I got very interested in physics and in technical subjects. Uh, and then I told my father that, OK, I think I'll major in physics. And as a good sort of post-colonial African father says, you know, physics, what are you going to do with that? You could only maybe be a teacher. And, you know, you're not sending me to school in the U.S. to study to be a teacher. Um, and so I ended up doing computer science, which was sort of the next thing that seemed marketable, but was the subject that I liked. And for four years of being in undergrad, I was one of two women uh, who were in computer science. So again, back to the gendered point, you know, it, it, there weren't a lot of women. Engineering was more or less the same. Um, but I went ahead and did that. When I went to my first job, it became very clear to me from the nature of the work and also the people around me, all male, again, only the admin were women, uh, was that, okay, this is good. Technically, I enjoy it. But where are the people in this? You know, we're just like making barcodes and we're, even the stuff we're making, 
uh, is so removed from my human experience and my social experience and my economic relations, you know, with home, that I just couldn't see what the point was actually of me continuing in this um, as a field, even though architecture was still in the background. Anyway, that got me into somebody, again, putting it out there over coffee, saying, why don't you check out sociology? Because that's where we talk about people. That's where we <laughs> talk about society. Okay. And I ended up being a double major, computer science, sociology. The same story played out when I eventually got into architecture school, that I found I was in a school where it was very technical and theoretical. Uh, and somebody introduced me to planning. And I found that urban planning and architecture somehow gave me that combination. And my life's continued like that. I think at every point in time, there's been a thing I'm doing and hopefully excelling to some extent, you know, if I can blow my own horn. Uh, and then I've can. had some... Are <laughs> <laughs> you sure? <laughs> and then I've found... Well, I always say to young people, you have to do well. Nobody's trying to help somebody who isn't demonstrating that they have the capacity to actually do well. Of course, of course, yes. <laughs> yeah. And do, yeah. do you know, yeah, and you know, and that's so amazing as well. And I, I do like that. And I think in a way what you also do is get from you just hearing you right now is that young people can then see themselves that hold on, this is her journey. That means it's okay. I mean, I can fit it, I can find a way to find who I am. And also because you as people, as, as I mentioned earlier, we're not stagnant. We evolve all the time. And you have to give yourself that opportunity to evolve. And you find that you move into areas and you, you find the things that you are interested in and combining with the, you know, your studies that you can then combine them together. And that's what you're saying about the architecture side of and the, the planning side of things. And, bringing, and you know, even the sociology, because you talk about people as well. It's about understanding that as well. So all that, and then, of course, um, computer science but all of that works together in so many ways because you know we are, we're not just one type of people well, we are very diverse in our skill set and how we see things and how we approach things as well and you're a great demonstration of that and you know you're talking about I should, should blow my heart of course you should we don't do that well enough we should keep doing that all the time so I am <laughs> celebrating all the time and that's why I'm, I'm saying you should really do that but you know, also, I'm quite impressed as well because you know you've written quite a lot of books as a as a, by yourself, but also in collaboration as well. And I know that you've got a, a recent book which is called Innovation Ecosystems in Africa. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And and I know it's it's, it's a combination of uh, working with the African Innovation Summit. But also, it's also based on a book you you wrote as well in 2016 as well. So how, why did you feel there was a need to update that? Because, you know, we talk about, when we talk about Africa, we think they don't have the resources, they don't have the skill set, they don't, they're not imagine, uh, imaginative enough or they're not innovative enough, they're not this and not that. But really, you're saying, hold on a minute, you're now telling me that I can't. Please tell us more about that, please. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly that, what you just said. Um, you know, you've got so many people telling you about yourself uh, yeah. as, a, as, a, as an African that at some point you have to wake up and tell your own story, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the journey towards this book series really began um, from around 2014 with the Africa Innovation Summit, as you mentioned. Uh, um, and, 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 and the first book uh, in 2016 was really about saying, look, innovation happens in Africa. You know, we may not be making those ranks in terms of we've got the highest investment in science and technology, or we may not be putting out the highest number of patents, but people are innovating every day. And what we did was to invite a series of case studies where I could write about 
how people are doing innovation in Africa and how, in fact, there are what we call the emerging hubs of excellence. You can actually begin to see beyond individual in, you know, innovators, the boy who harnessed the wind or mm -hmm. the one who did some space thing in Eastern Cape or the one who did some water thing somewhere else. Yeah. In fact, we've literally got concentrations of innovation. We wrote about Nollywood. We wrote about uh, 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 Kenya in terms of the mobile industry. We wrote about uh, small-scale manufacturing in Ghana. We wrote about the rice industry in Egypt. So we wrote about quite a number of things and we were saying, look, it's happening. A few years later, when you ask about why the update, we were saying, but okay, people are innovating and we have this potential to, to scale to economic impact. But the reality is the reason why it's not doing that is our ecosystems aren't enabling. We, we generally speaking, you know, if you're in the U.S., and, and or, or in most of Europe, and you're a really smart person with a really good idea, there are things that conspire to support you. You know, there's course, funding, yeah. there's industry, there are yeah. institutions, there's uh, legislative frameworks, there are incentives, you know, there's all of this stuff that really you have no reason not to do well. Okay. Now, in Africa, unfortunately, that's the exception rather than the rule. Uh, and therefore, there's so much potential that we know gets squandered. And so the question we asked in the second book is, how do we make sure that we have the ecosystems that enable those innovators mm -hmm. to really do that, to really scale to economic impact. And so the case studies there were about cases in also, you know, real problem areas, you know, things we need. So there's a wonderful story about health systems and, and the story of Ebola and how a part of the story we don't tell there is how northern uh, uh, health systems and how that works uh, really had to coincide and uh, synergize with actually indigenous health systems uh, in order for it to be effective in actually dealing with the problem we had. Uh, and so the problem we had wasn't one that could only be addressed uh, externally. We talk about the teaching systems, we talk about urban cities, we talk about governance, agriculture, insurance. Uh, and so it's really, again, collecting those stories that say there's something to be learned here about the ecosystems we need and how we support innovators. Working on the third one now, so look out oh, for that all right. one. <laughs> yes, That's yes. Good. And we think the story in this, you know, we normally start with a question and we see what comes up in the case studies, but we think the question for this third one is going to be, but okay, there's some degree of urgency here, guys. I mean, people are struggling, people are starving, quite literally, people are fighting because they have nothing, you know, to hope for. Um, how can we talk about how this innovation we're saying we have and these ecosystems can really quickly ratchet up to some transformative outcomes? You know, how, how do we do that? Okay. And that's the question we're asking for the third volume. So I think the story will continue, uh, yeah. hopefully with a positive <laughs> trajectory eventually. But that's why we did these books. And I think this is so important. Thank you very much. for that. I think it's so, so important because, again, we don't it, this is important for information for people, the world, but also for it's also gearing us up to say, well, hold on, yes, we know this is where we are, but we are improving all the time. And the changes, and you know, as you said, it's about the question. You start with a question, and that question you find out, actually the answers there out there is just locating where they are as well. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing that third book. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, indeed. Thank you so much again. Now, I'm coming to this, because, you know, again, we want to provide solutions. We want to find a way and Africa has a lot to contribute as well. So how can STEAM, that's science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics, and innovation be the game changer in Africa? As a platform, is to, we want to provide solutions. So how would you say we can, the synergy of that, and what should Africa be doing? How can they be one of the forefront runners 
providing a solution, not just for Africa itself, but globally. Because when you think about it, Africans migrate. They go to other countries and they are doing great stuff. So surely there must be a way for us to work together and show Africa and bring Africa up to that same level as the rest of the world. Yeah. yeah, no, so true. I mean, if you go today to anywhere, if you go to Stanford, if you go to Cambridge, if you go to, I'm sure, even any place in China or Russia or wherever, you're going to find African scholars. Um, and again, to this point that you have to go elsewhere to have the enablers in place, uh, there's clearly something we've got to be able to do on the continent. So, so my sense of it is there are a few things that have to happen. I'm obviously of a of a technical background, which I sort of hybridized on my own. And so I, for one, I'm really glad for the A being brought into STEM uh, mm -hmm. because I think what that does, and not even just art in the sense of, you know, creative, you know, space, but arts and humanities, you know, these other areas that we tend to, by, by saying STEM, it almost sounds as STEM versus those things. But I think this idea that those things also matter uh, is something I'm very keen on. And I think that's one of the things that has to change. I think we have, we've been, we've encouraged ourselves and we've been encouraged from outside as well to focus on STEM, which I think we must, but doing that to the exclusion of what makes it worthwhile to do that, I think is exactly why there's so few women in the field. For a while, we thought it's because girls couldn't do well in these subjects. I think that it's also because when you look at what STEM, if all it is is doing math and engineering and whatever, and if as a human being, the things that matter to you don't show up, it begins to seem like something that's not for you. And it's not an inability. We now know any girl anywhere can excel in mathematics, can excel in engineering, but will they put themselves up for it if all they see the potential output is, is you know, putting on a helmet and, you know, you know, doing a road or doing a what treatment plant, if, for example, they're interested in something developmental, you know, in the sense of it being social or a different kind of application, and if that's not evident to them. And now you and I know that we obviously need these subjects across fields, including course, very yeah. social issues, mm -hmm. but that's not what the, ac the academy fronts, right? Because, uh, you know, we are in conversation here, for example, all the time with our engineering faculty, with our uh, computer science school, because what they end up having is large groups of largely male students who are very technically inclined and can't for the life of them think how to apply that to social or developmental issues all around us. And so they speak to us as a school of governance to say, how do we make those connections? And so that's got to change. We've got to see the interconnectedness, even of very technical subjects and of the sciences to actual issues we have going on. And I think making that connection will make it seem important for more people to get in. And then once they're in, again, just more transdisciplinary, more applied stuff. We don't need people who are learning how to, you know, kind of do complex modeling just for the sake of it. Uh, I think we need to, for them to be able to see how that connects to very real life very issues. Nice, course, um, yes. In my view, we don't need to fight AI. We don't need yeah. to be behaving as though, you know, technology is the enemy. I think we need to understand that technology is something that we co-evolve with and we can completely use to our advantage and our benefit in terms of the kind of society or world we want to have. So we have to teach in a way that completely embeds that and doesn't be, act as though if you're learning uh, physics here, uh, that it's a completely objective and completely technical subject that has nothing to do with the fact that you live in Soweto mm -hmm. or you live in, um, uh, in Lagos yeah. uh, and even a particular part of Lagos. Sure. We've got to allow people to see the connection between what they study and how they study Sorry. to the lives yeah. they lead.
Of course, you know, I totally agree with you. And I think that's so, so important. I think it's not just in the Africa, but across the board as well. Seeing is that connection. And unless you see that connection, it's ever so difficult for you to relate to something. And you're quite right. You know, sometimes, you know, um, girls or females are put off going to uh, um, STEM because they feel, I can't, where's my connection? How do I associate with that? And also because of the image we that's being portrayed to the world, it doesn't always reflect the true thing. And this is what we want to change. And that's why I thank you so much for coming on board as well, because we want to change that perception. We want to change the minds of people and how they see us and see, but also showing the diversity of people that work in and the roles as well that we play in as well. You know, I, I still want to go back to the question about how do you see Africa coming to the forefront? How do they make that change? Very, 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 very briefly, because we want to get the industry, we want to get education system uh, and, and the government start talking about this and, and changes things and not complain about things that are not working, but provide yeah. solutions. So, yes. Yeah. So one of the big things, you know, we wrote a paper uh, just after COVID and one of the um, uh, points we made in that paper was that during COVID, um, a paper came out from WHO saying that about 12% of technological innovations came out of Africa within the first year. That's a very surprising statistic, given that all other numbers say that we produced less than 1% of global knowledge, and yet yeah. 11 to 12% of the yeah. world's technological solutions came out of Africa. So back to the ecosystems point, how do we get to the front? One, we have to validate the thinkers, the doers, the innovators who we have and stop making life so bloody difficult for them. Yes. We've really got to enable. And part of that, and it'll be my second point, is about capital. Yeah. It takes money. Yeah, and that's of one of the very simple things that gets in the way of so many Africans sort of stepping up. So we've got to do that. We've also got to get the link between formal and informal systems going because a lot of our best innovators completely function in informal in or semi-formal yeah. spaces. And yet sure. we invest all of our money into institutions like where I'm sitting right now, big universities, you know, big paychecks for a few people and not where the many are actually innovating. We've then got to make sure if we continue doing that, that it's got to matter for them. Universities have to contribute or enable what these innovators are doing. And those yeah. connections here are very weak. So if we did just those three things, yeah, make the ecosystems work, finance the stuff and make connections between the infrastructure and the doers, yeah. uh, I think that I would see no reason why Africa wouldn't be the top of the innovation game and why our STEM couldn't matter. Do you know, I totally agree with you. And again, this is what we, I, I so, so thank you so much because again, what you're showcasing again is that, again, you know, we people see things in different ways. And unless you have stats to, pr to prove that otherwise, people are going to say, oh, that's not, because all they hear is this, oh, the media, how the media portrays certain parts of the world doesn't always reflect the true things that are happening in there. And, you know, just having that conversation with you showcases that, hold on a minute, we're actually doing better than what you think. And I think we need to promote that even much more. But also it gives encouragement to the young young Black people coming out, or people, Africans that are coming up, that hold on a minute, we're actually doing something. We just need to know where to go. And, you know, you talked about um, we need to support the innovators. We need to give them that environment that allows them to, to flourish. And we need finance as well. Again, that's a big thing. And you know, there's so many rich people in Africa. They need to start investing <laughs> in investing in your people instead of I don't know whatever you're doing with it. You know, there's much more to it. If you want Africa to be great, you know, as they say, America, America, make America great again. 
Let me get make African great again. But on, on a serious note, though, the the people we should invest in ourselves. We should look at ways we can improve and and nurture those that are coming up. Because what we're doing, or what Africa seems to be doing, is that they're sending children abroad and they're building other people's infrastructure. But you're lagging behind. There's no sense in that. It doesn't make sense. So I think it's changing people's mindsets as well. So what would you like to tell the government to do? <laughs> uh, I'd like to tell governments wake up people are trying and they're trying really hard uh, if you can't do anything get out of the way uh, let, let, let them uh, if you can do something then find the ways to connect to where you've got potential stop trying to be like somewhere else we've got our own ways of doing things and we can be effective support what we have don't spend time wishing for what we aren't thank you education system tell me what what would you like to tell them uh, education system, open up, just much more access to many more people. Uh, look beyond discipline. Stop trying to put people in boxes because we don't live that way. Uh, so I think we have to modernize, but modernize in an African way. So again, let's be where we are and let's create education systems that are relevant for where we are. Indeed. Industry? Industry, oh my God. Uh, um, again, be where you are. Find ways to be relevant. Uh, I believe, you know, so, uh, very quickly, South Africa, everybody says post-apartheid people did better than ever before. Sometimes you create oppressive systems because you think that's what you need in order to be profitable and to thrive. Mm -hmm. Actually, sometimes being where you are and opening up and letting people be free and letting people participate is actually how you do better. So make more money by being more open and by being support and by supporting the environments where you are. Thank you so much. <laughs> do you know, I, I know it's very short and brief, but you know, this is so, you've given us so much great nuggets. And I think it's also that the audience is going to talk, listen to this. We'll actually start picking up. Also, I think it, it encourages Africa to start seeing things differently. We are producing, we are innovative, we are creative, we are very good. But only if you give us a chance, we need to fix the ecosystem. The infrastructure needs to change. We need to invest in ourselves. We need to be not selfish anymore and not think about self, but actually open it up to a wider audience so we can gain the benefits. Even if it's not short term, long term, we can make that difference. And I think this is what you're basically saying as well. It, it's so, so important. We cannot change stuff unless we ourselves change within ourselves. And then we will be the changer that changes other people. Other people see you change and they start changing as well. And this is basically what you're saying too. So, do you know, Thank you so much, Casey. I, I, I so appreciate this. This is a wonderful experience. And I, I thank you that you took time out of your busy schedule to um, have a conversation with us as well. And also one more thing before I forget is that, you know, we talk about, you know, we have issues where in the industry we talk about, oh, there's a skill shortage. We don't have the right people doing this. We don't know this. What would you say? Because I think we talk a lot about this and I've I've seen a conversation you had and I, I don't want to quote that. So you can tell me what you think. <laughs> so look, I mean, obviously, you know, maybe these things are, are place specific, but I mean, where I am, where I hear those kind of comments, I really don't buy it. I think yeah, we yeah. have, you know, billions of people on this planet and many of them are not fully engaged uh, and yet all of them have potentials. And therefore oh. I believe that if you can't find the skills you're looking for, first thing, look harder. <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe check your check your blinkers because maybe yeah. there's spaces you're not seeing just because of what you think you're looking for. 
Uh, or second, build the skills. So what stops you from doing that? I mean, almost any employer today will tell you that half of what you do is you build the skills you need in your organization to so invest in doing that. I mean, even in my space as a currently, you know, in the education space, I understand that I don't always get even all of the students that I would like yeah, <laughs> to yeah, have, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. but I understand that every learner has potential. Now, it might mean that it takes more of my time maybe to hit some foundational stuff that I wish they mm -hmm. came in with. But what is that other than time? It's an investment of time. Of course. And if you're yeah. really serious about what you're trying to do, put in the bloody time. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like you so much. Yes, you, you know, you know, but that's so true though, because I think we we are people are complainers. We start changing that, flip it on itself, and provide solutions. You think out of the box, and also I think sometimes we don't put, we don't remember we were when we were growing up or what we had to go through. And some reason we just because we got to a place we forget. Hold on, there was a journey that I got for me to get to that place, and now these people are now coming to that journey. We need there, there are things we can do. You yes. know, I, I I do love that. And I think I I do now understand what you mean by I am a thinker, a researcher. Not so much to do it, but I understand that because again, what you're saying is that you're always you're not just stagnant. Your your mind is sticking, and we all do that. We don't. It's just some people do it in a, in a you know in a, a larger scale than others. But really, what you're saying is so so true, and I think we need to really embrace that and remember that we're not. You know, it doesn't mean just because you get to a point you stop. You're evolving all the time. If you stop education yourself then you, you lose out in general. So anyway, look, <laughs> thank you so much. I, I truly appreciate it. I really, really do. So thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks for, uh, as you said, celebrating me. I do feel celebrated. No, you uh, are. And thanks you for know, your show. I, yeah, I do. I do. I, I love, I love what you do. I love your energy. I love the way you think out of the box. And I think we need, we're too, I know sometimes we, as you said, we've got blinkers. And I, I love the idea because I was doing lots of research on you and I can see you're so varied and so I think that's powerful. You need to be. We we as human beings need to be there. So I do love you being that out of the box thinker, challenging yourself, challenging us as, as people as well. So again, thank you. I am celebrating. I'll continue to celebrate you because you're an amazing woman. So thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thanks, Margaret. Thank you.